Happy Pentecost Day. If you don't know what Pentecost is, that's okay. Um, but like Nick said, it was the birth of the church. And I'm super excited about it because when on the day of Pentecost, uh, it says that they were all together and the Spirit of God came in a powerful way. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. When the Holy Spirit shows up, He changes everything. And then some. And then he changes everything all over again. He's a God that changes things. I remember one time I was at a youth camp with um, Jim Meyer in the back there and his family. And his daughter, Ellie, who was pretty shy, you know, pretty male-mannered, just kind of a quieter girl. She got impacted by the Holy Spirit, got prayed for. And I saw a boldness pop out of this girl that I had never seen before. And I've seen that time and time again with the Holy Spirit. God comes and he brings a boldness where we've never seen a boldness before. So if you got a Bible, go to uh, the book of Acts. It's a good book. I like all the cheering I'm getting today. This is like super fun. We could, you know, we could pretend to be a black church, you guys. Everybody pull out your hankies, you know. And if I say something even mildly interesting, you could be like, come on with somebody, you know, and like shake that tree and we could we could we could come up with a lot of things um yeah yeah i'm coming i'm coming <laughs> so the title of this message today is the baptism of the holy spirit what is it what is this baptism of the holy spirit so if you got it go to the book of acts chapter 2 starting at verse 1 and it says this when the day of pentecost arrived they about 120 people we're all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Next slide. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, let's pray, okay? God, I'm asking today that you would pour out your spirit. I'm asking today, God, that this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit would make sense to our hearts and that we would understand that you're not just a God that wants to save us, but you're a God that wants to empower us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I think sometimes we look at in culture, and people hear things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you might have a mixed bag of that. You might have a good experience, you might have a bad experience, you might have pictures of people flopping on the ground like fish, or you might have images of people being out of control, or you might have images or thoughts of, man, I don't know what this is. But I can say that on the day of Pentecost, when they came, they had already believed in Jesus, but when the Holy Spirit showed up in, in that way, it changed everything. It changed their emotional state. It changed how they thought. There was a, a transformation that happened in them. And what I want to encourage you guys in this today is this, that, that there, is, there is salvation and there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you that today. Um, in Acts 19... Um, 
it says this, Acts 19, 1 through 6. It says, and it happened that while Apollos, that was one of the missionary guys, was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we, we haven't even heard of this Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. So you might be like, why are we talking about this this morning? Stay with me. They met these guys, Paulus met these guys, and they said, hey, are you a believer? And they're like, sure, we're believers. Well, what do you believe? Well, we believe that we're supposed to turn from doing what's wrong and do what's right. John's baptism. Then Paul says, but what about Jesus? And he explains to them Jesus, explains to them who Christ is, and they, in that moment, accepted Christ. Then the next thing that happened, they, after accepting Christ, Paul laid hands on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that there is an indwelling that God wants to have in you. So when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes. How many know that? The, Holy, the Spirit of God comes when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It even says in Ephesians, it says that the Holy Spirit's like a, like a deposit or an engagement ring. For all those that accept him. So it's like, it's like when you come and say, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. There comes this inner witness in your spirit, in your heart. I'm saved. How do you know that? Well, I know. A, a good friend and a mentor of mine, his name is Gerard de Tot. And Gerard is a South African preacher. So he was, from, he was going to Bible school in South Africa. And one night at like 7, 8 o'clock, he was sitting down with a friend. And the friend turned to him and said this, Gerard, do you have the witness in your heart that you are saved? And Gerard said, I'm in Bible school. Isn't that good enough? Like, I, I'm saved. No, 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 Gerard, you don't understand. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you if, if you're studying the Bible. I'm not asking you if you know lots about God. I'm asking you, do you have a witness in your gut, in your spirit, that you are saved? And Gerard answered again, well, yeah, I, 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 you know, I said the right things. I do the right stuff. I, yeah. No, 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 Gerard, you don't understand. See, when Christ comes into my life, I know. There is an inner witness. It doesn't mean that we're all perfect yet. It doesn't mean that everything's all whatever. But it does mean that there is an inner knowing that drops down into my spirit. I know that I know someday when I lay my head down and breathe my last breath, I'm going to go be with him. Do you have the witness that you are saved? And I, I think that's a really critical thing. And it, it doesn't mean you have to do a bunch of spiritual gymnastics, but it does ask yourself the question, God, do I know you? Is there that witness in my heart? But then there's another thing that happens, and that is the Spirit of God doesn't just dwell inside us like salvation, but he wants to dwell upon us. He wants to empower us 
for our life. How many know we need a little bit of power in our life? I have, you know, like back in the day, I don't think they make cars like this anymore, but they used to do cars where you didn't have power steering. So you're driving one of those cars, let's say like an old pickup stuff, and you're trying to pull the, the wheel. Anybody driven something like that? And you're yanking on this wheel, right? You're trying to get somewhere. And guess what? You can. You, you totally can. You're going to have to pull a little harder, but you can go. But if you have power steering, it's a little easier. You can do it with one finger. You know, you're just kind of pulling it around. And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. He dwells within us when we accept Christ, but he comes upon us in a baptism. And this is the space where the Spirit of God comes with supernatural joy, where you just have a faith for things that you don't know why, but you're like, I know that I know that God's going to move. I, you, have, you have this unction, this, this pull in your heart that when you pray, something's going to change. There's something in you that's a supernatural gift of God that's just a more. Now, let me address this really quick because I feel like I have heard this a thousand times of this dichotomy, this cut down the middle between, well, those that are, you know, you're saved, that's fine, you know, but you're really important if you have the Holy Spirit, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Bunch of malarkey. I've also heard this, that somebody says, well, you know, I had that one experience back in 1987 where I felt God, I spoke in tongues, it was awesome. I'm baptized in the Spirit. I would also say to that person, come on. See, the point isn't that you had one cool experience in God. The point is it's supposed to be an ongoing experience where we are continually filled in him that, that you day by day receive the spirit of God in your life because we all need a greater touch from God. It's, it's, almost, like, it's almost like we're like a, like a cup with a hole in it sometimes and God pours his spirit into us. He does things with us and then we leak. And sometimes we get, you know, we need a continual washing and touching in God. It's not just a matter of a baptism in Christ or in the Spirit of God. It's, it's baptisms in Him. Continually, day by day, experiencing Him. So this baptism of the Holy Spirit, what does it do? It does three things. One, it gives you an empowerment to do God's works. And, and when I say that, I do mean supernatural things. I do mean that God wants to come with deliverance for hearts and minds. He wants to heal bodies. He wants to set people free. He really does do that. I've experienced it. I've seen God do it. He wants to do it in everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, that we be empowered for his service. Secondly, I really know that he also calls us to be victorious over sin. I have found that in the, that place of being filled with him, my heart gets satisfied. And the old temptations and the old struggles are defeated not because I'm willpowering my way through, but because he's satisfying my heart. And lastly, it, it makes us his witnesses. And this is what I mean by that. He makes our face shine. He makes it that when you walk in the door, somebody, somebody goes and, and he's like, man, there's something different about that guy. And, and there is a shine that comes on a person's life that is encountering Jesus on a consistent basis. There's something that comes over them. You're like, man, there's, there's something about you. There's something on your life. Empowerment for service. Can you put this up on the screen? Luke 11, 5 through 13. 
if a friend of yours came in need. Kind of have that in the context of this. Luke 11, 5 says this. And he said to them, Jesus, which of you who has a friend would go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. You guys, people come to us with needs, with struggles, with emptiness in their heart, where there is nothing in them. They don't have, they don't have anything. And they're going to come to you and say, hey, do you got some bread? Do you, do you have something of substance that can fill my heart? Can, can you help me out here? And the reality is, back up one, ver- one slide. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. And I have nothing. My words, my encouragement, my money, all that I have, it's not enough for what God wants to do in the heart. We've been trying to do this forever in government, right? We're trying to fix the needs of the homeless and the broken and the hurting. And all the while, what will really satisfy their heart is living bread. Jesus in the heart, refreshing the heart, bringing something. And you've had, I think we've all tasted the difference. There's something when someone says something, and then there's times when God says something through somebody. And it's living bread. It's not just words, but it's, it's God imparting life to somebody. And there's going to be people that come to you, I'm sure, this week. And they're going to come to you in the midnight of their life and say, do you have any bread? And the reality is, you don't. And so we turn to the only one that has bread. And we say, hey, uh, I know it's midnight, God, midnight hour in, in my life, in, in someone's life. Like, I need something now. And it says this in the, next, in the next slide. And he will answer him from within. Don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are up with me in bed. I can't get up and give you, any, I can't get up and give you anything. Next slide. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, not impotence, him, <laughs> wrong word, you know what I mean. I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> he, he will rise, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. If you don't know what that word means, go talk to your dad afterwards. Anyway, um, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will open with you. Keep that up there. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. If you're taking notes this morning, write those three words down. Ask, seek, knock. I kind of think this breaks down the three spaces of what prayer is. Ask. When I ask God something, I'm coming with my list. I got all the things that are going on in my life. I have all the struggles. I have, hey, um, Grandma Jeannie is struggling with arthritis, and, and I really need a raise at work. And I have all these struggles. I have all the things that come into my mind. This is where all of us start 
when it comes to the place of connecting with God and getting what we need. We come with our list. We come with our thoughts. We come with who we are. And in that space, in this space of the asking realm or the asking space, there's two things. There's this thing in the Old Testament called the, the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, there was three different sections. And I think they kind of correlate to ask, seek, knock. You had in the outer courts, you had this thing called the altar. And they would make all these sacrifices on the altar. And it all signified back to Jesus. That's really what it was pointing towards is Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. And then after they went from, the, from the, the altar, there was this thing called the laver, and it was this pool where the priests would wash their hands, their head, and their feet. And then you would move on to, to the, outer, the uh, holy place, and that was the seeking place, and there is this, there is this candlestick with this lit-up lit menorah, and then there is this place of bread, and then there was also this altar of incense, this place of worship. But in the, the first space, in the asking space, there's this thing with the altar. And this is where, if you want to step into a place of connecting with the heart of God, I really think it all starts here. It all starts with the blood of Jesus. And that we come to him and we say, Jesus, all of our sacrifices, all of my attempts to please you, all of that, it don't work. But Jesus, I put all my confidence in what you've done, what you've completed on the cross. I think a lot of us approach God in the place of guilt and frustration, the place of like, man, I screwed up. Man, I'm not getting it right together. And God says, forget all of that. Come and turn to the cross. Come and look at me again. Face me. Let Remember that I paid for all of it already. All of the stuff, everything that happened, like we just said earlier in the service, his mercies are new every morning. And so we come to him first to that place and we ask. And before we bring our list, we say, Jesus, I just want to remember that you died for me. You cleansed me of all my sin. You accepted me. I'm yours. And then there's this place of the labor and it was this place of the washing. And guess what? We all need a good washing. We get dusty from the world and our hands and what we do, our mind and what we think, our feet and where we go, we need God to wash us. So we come and we ask God and we say, I thank you for your blood. And then two, I come and I say, God, would you wash me again? I had a crummy day yesterday. Help. We ask him to wash us. This is the space in prayer where a lot of times we quit. Because you're frustrated and you say, I'm going to connect with God. But then we get distracted with the stresses and the cares and the struggles of life. Or our own shame, our own frustration. And we say, eh, I'll just stop there. But if you'll press through, you'll encounter him. The second space is the seeking place of prayer. And in the seeking place of prayer, that holy place, there was this menorah and it was the sevenfold spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what shows us God. He shows us God. And so we come into the seeking realm and guess what happens in this space? My list doesn't matter anymore. All the things that I'm struggling with, the, the, the raise I want at work, the struggle with my sibling, the, the whatever going on in the U.S. government, none of that matters anymore because what's happening is my heart has turned from asking and it's turned to seeking him. 
So all my priorities are now shifting to the place of, Jesus, I, I want what you have. And that can take a little bit of time because kind of we want what we want sometimes. And God wants to turn our hearts to the place of seeking him. You okay this morning? Everybody okay? In that place of seeking, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. In the place of seeking, my list fades. Jesus becomes center stage. Turn to the altar of showbread and I, I start reading his word and I think, God, what do you want to say to me? I was talking to a guy a little while ago and he said, He's mentoring this one guy that he only knew half of a verse in the Bible, and that's all he knew. Love is patient, love is kind. He had heard it somewhere, and that's all he knew. And he tried to live his life based off of love is patient, love is kind. Could you imagine if you just took one page of the Bible and for like a year, you just like went over it and went over it and said, God, what do you want to say to me? I think sometimes we can be nine miles wide and one inch thick, right? I don't read the Bible for how it's going to help me confirm my positions or make me like what I think. I read the Bible because in it, God speaks to me and transforms my heart. It becomes a living bread where I eat this in, I, I take it in, and in that space, Jesus has a conversation with me. The other thing to recognize that reading the Bible, it's a lot like eating food. Sometimes you don't feel all that amazing when you're eating your broccoli. You might not feel all that inspired as you're munching on your toast in the morning. But can I tell you, it's nourishing you. And just like that, we need, we need spiritual nourishment where we're reading a Bible and sometimes you're reading it and you're like, I don't know if I'm getting anything out of this. But my challenge to you is just keep reading. God will speak to you. He will move in your heart. And then outside of the bread, then there's this place of worship. See, in that seeking space, it all becomes all about Jesus. He becomes center stage. All the things of him become center stage. And then lastly, knocking. Knock and the door will be open to you. What is this knocking space? Jesus said this, I am the door. Anyone who comes through me can receive. And so in this space and the place of worship, we start knocking on the door and we say, Jesus, I have to have you. Ask, seek, knock. And then it says this in the next verse. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. In the wording, it says actually this, for everyone who asks and keeps on asking, receives. And the one who seeks and keeps on seeking, finds. And to the one who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. What's the lesson there? Persistence and hunger. Next verse on there. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Next slide. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him? I think there's a really important point in this. 
the Holy Spirit is the best gift that any one of us could receive. In the Holy Spirit is everything you need in wisdom, in life, in encouragement, in friendship. Man, we got a nation of people crying out, would someone just be my friend? And God says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit who will sit closer to you than any friend. He is the best gift. I need the Holy Spirit for me, but I also just need the Holy Spirit because people around me need living bread. And what Jeremy has is not enough. I also want to just talk this morning about uh, speaking in tongues real quick. For some of you, this whole thing about speaking in tongues is just weird and gibberish. For others of you, it's like, oh yeah, it's pretty normal. But I have found that praying in the Spirit has been one of the most powerful, impactful things that have ever transformed my life. When I was nine years old, I was at a, at a youth kids camp, and they asked us at the camp, they said, hey, how many of you would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And me, just, I raise my hand, and I run up forward, and they start praying over me, and the next thing I know, I'm praying loudly in this language that I don't even know what I'm talking about. And I remember thinking in my head, I'm like, huh, I wonder what this is. And there is an element of faith to this whole thing of speaking in tongues that offends my ego. And that's part of the issue, is that God wants to take my tongue and by faith, I'm now partnering with the Spirit of God into something very foreign, very unknown, and God wants to, wants to move in it. A couple of things I want to say about speaking in tongues. One, um, I would say it's an eventual evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? If the Spirit of God baptizes you, His Spirit comes upon you, I believe that you speaking in tongues is, is eventually, it's going to happen. Doesn't mean it has to happen right away, but I think it will eventually happen. I think it's a natural outflow. It kind of comes part and parcel with it. Now, if someone doesn't speak in tongues, does that mean they don't have the Holy Spirit? No. But I do believe this. God is glad to give out gifts to his kids. And just because one person received a gift, like think about Christmas, you know, like imagine you get an apron for Christmas and your friend gets a, you know, a new Tesla. You're not going to be very excited. But that's not how God gives out gifts. God gives out the best gifts to his kids. He isn't looking out to shortchange anybody. He wants to give his best to each one of his kids. I believe it's an eventual, everyone I think eventually God wants to pour it out to them. Um, and it's a gift, so it's free. It's not something forced on anybody. Two, I have found that speaking in tongues strengthens me. In 1 Corinthians 14, 14, it says this, that he who speaks in a tongue strengthens himself. He doesn't strengthen someone else. Now, if I just got up here and started speaking in tongues to you, you'd be like, I don't know what you're saying. This isn't very helpful. What's the point of this? And that's true. The point is that when something is in a public context, there needs to be understanding. When it's in a private context, just between me and God, when I pray in tongues, I find that it charges my spiritual battery. My heart is reinforced. The next one is that it keeps me aware of the Holy Spirit. When I pray in tongues, I get aware of, man, God's here. I start noticing the Spirit of God. Here's a good one. It kills selfishness and pride. 
you know, when I pray out of my own mind and my own thinking, I'm going to come with my own intellect and my own thoughts. But when I pray in the Spirit, it's not my words anymore. It's the Holy Spirit helping me pray His heart in that space. So it's not going to be Jeremy-centered. It's going to be God-centered. Another one is that it helps us pray for what we don't know how to pray about. There was an old church that's no longer around anymore. Well, it sort of is, but called Calvary Temple. It was downtown. And there was a pastor there, Richard Strum, and his wife. And one Sunday morning, they were in the middle of worship. And he thought to himself, you know, I feel like we're supposed to pray for the Mahalskis. Now, about a half a year ago, we had Sarah Maholsky come and she shared all about her and her husband's ministry to Russia. And they would go into communist Russia and they would smuggle Bibles in. So they're smuggling Bibles into Russia. And this one particular morning, Richard Strum feels, we need to pray for the Maholskis. So he stops the service and gets everybody huddled up and they all start praying. Well, guess what? They don't know how to pray. They don't know what they're supposed to pray for. And so they prayed with their understanding, and then they also prayed in the Spirit, and they just by faith prayed in the Spirit and asked that God would help the Mahalskis. Well, several months later, the Mahalskis came home, and this is before, you know, landline, internet, and smartphones, and everything, so you don't know anything for a while. They come home, and they go visit the church, and guess what? They found out that exact morning, they were in interrogation in a, in a Soviet cell that morning. So Richard Strum feels by the Spirit, man, we're supposed to pray. He's obedient to God. They pray with their understanding, but they don't know a lot. And then they pray in the Spirit, and God meets the need exactly what needs to be met. I use this principle all the time because I don't know a lot. And so when I'm quietly in my life and in my day, when I was working at the hospital, I would be praying quietly to myself not quietly to the Lord in tongues all the time. Now, I don't do that really loudly. Why? Because they'd all think I was really weird. And it wouldn't help anybody. But as I am praying, I am partnering with the Holy Spirit. I'm saying, Holy Spirit, would you just come? Would you touch this hospital? Would you, that person I just talked to, I don't know what they need, but would you, would you work in their life? Would you work in their heart? And so I'm quietly praying. What would it look like for your work, your business, your school, the person next to you? You don't know what's going on in their life. But as the Holy Spirit gives that space of praying in the Spirit, we can pray with a confidence knowing God's touching people around me. He's working in their life. I've also found in that space that often then God gives me clues and little points of like, oh, I think I know what this is. So that's tongues, but the whole point isn't actually tongues. It's just like you don't buy shoes for the tongues on them. You buy shoes for the shoes. I don't buy shoes so I can have a tongue. I buy shoes so I can wear a shoe. I don't ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit so I can speak in tongues. No, I ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit so I can be baptized into Him. And when I'm baptized into Him, I'm really just baptized into His love, His heart, His motivations. And it's much better than any of our love and any of our motivations. On the night that Jesus was betrayed... Mark 14, 27, it says this. And Jesus said to them, hey, tonight, you guys, all of you are going to fall away. And Peter said this to him, one of his disciples. Even though everyone else falls away, I'm not going to. 
And Jesus looks at him. Imagine this is you. You just said, I'm never falling away. He looks at him and says, I tell you the truth, tonight you're going to deny me three times. How's that for a blow? And Peter's like, you're wrong, Jesus. Uh-uh, not me. I'm standing. Peter was convinced of his heart, his commitment to Jesus. A little later on in the night, they seize Jesus, they lead him away, and they bring him into the high priest's house. And Peter is following at a distance. Hasn't denied him yet. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looked closely at him and said, Hey, this man too, he was with Jesus too. Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. And Peter said, Man, I, I, I am not. And after a little bit of the time, about an hour, still another insisted and said, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. <sighs> and immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. You ever felt like you let Jesus down? Jesus, I'm, I'm going to be so committed to you. I am never doing that thing again. I, I'm for you the rest of my days. Jesus, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to go for it. Jesus looks Peter right in the eye and says, tonight, you're going to deny me three times. This is the part that kills me, though, when I read this verse. Immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? Jesus, I'm never going to deny you. Three hours later, you denied him three times, and he heard the whole thing. And then Jesus turns and looks at him. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Later, Jesus is crucified. He raises from the dead. But the disciples don't know it yet. And Simon turns to several other guys and he says this, I'm going to go fishing. They said to him, we're going to go with you. And they got out into a boat and that night they caught nothing. You know, when we fail Jesus, when, when we miss the mark, when we come with all our commitment and willpower, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it, and we fail and we feel like Jesus looks us straight in the eye, and there's Peter. He's like, well, Jesus has died. My hope died with him. I'm going fishing. I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to where I've been. And a couple of the other buddies said, you know what? We'll come with you. Because you know what? We don't know what else to do. And they went to go catch fish, and they couldn't even catch fish. So even the thing that they were good at, they couldn't even do that. Can you imagine that moment? You're like, apparently I'm just bad at everything. <laughs> Can't get fi catch fish. I can't even serve God. And the last memory of, that, of Jesus has with me is that I betrayed him. It was a good dream while it lasted. I guess I'll go back to what I know. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was him. 
Jesus said to them, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. They cast it over, they found some fish, and Peter immediately says, it's the Lord. That was how Peter first met Jesus. I like this part. Then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his cloak and he jumped into the water and went for the shore. Afterwards, they're sitting on the shore in verse 15, and it says that when they had finished breakfast, Jesus turns to Peter. Simon, who? Son of John, do you love me more than these? It's the first conversation that Peter is having with Jesus after he betrayed him. And if you look into the text, it says this. Simon, son of John, do you love me more of these? Are you, do you love me with more commitment than any of these other ones? That's what Peter was vouching for just a few hours earlier. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said this, he basically said, yes, Lord, you know that I, I love you with a personal affection as a close friend. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Or in other words, not even do you love me more than these, but do you have a total commitment towards me? Now, Peter's got to be a little confused. I thought I just answered this question. But he's saying, no, 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 do you, do you actually have a total commitment to me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a close friend with personal affection as a close friend. And he says, tend my sheep. And then Jesus says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you even have a personal, deep affection for me as a friend? Do you love me more than everybody else? Do you love me? Do you even have a close affection for me? Peter was grieved because he had said this the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Isn't that the right answer? <laughs> God, you know everything. <laughs> you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 19, he says this. After he said all these things, he said, follow me. You guys, it's impossible for us to love God. Peter really tried. He had all his effort and all of his attempts. He did it. But here's the one thing Jesus did ask him to do. Follow me. Jesus then leads all of his disciples to a mountain. And he gives them what's called the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've called you to do. You're going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. You're going to see a world turned upside down. And these 12 guys, you guys, 12 people in, in Israel 2,000 years ago were the result of this massive outpouring. And Jesus was basically saying to them, you can't do it. What I want you to do is follow me. 
Psalms 11.5 says this. And this is something I think we'll all experience. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. So, if you're righteous, he's going to test you. And if you're wicked, he's going to leave you alone. You don't want God to leave you alone. And so Peter's sitting there at that fire. And Jesus looks him straight in the eye and says, do you love me? You know I love you. No, 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 do you, do you love me? You know I love you. No, 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 do you, do you love me? See, Jesus turns to each one of us and he want, he's testing our heart, not because he's trying to be mean, but because he is seeking and he's knocking on the door of our heart and he wants to know, are you going to follow me? Do you have the witness that you are saved in your heart? Do you have the witness of the Spirit of God in your heart? Do you love me? How do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses to tell people about me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said these things, he was caught up as he looked on, and a cloud took him up out of their sight. Verse 12, it says that, then the disciples returned to Jerusalem. They had entered, and they, when they entered the city, they went upstairs to an upper room where they were staying indefinitely. All of these with one mind in verse 14 and with one purpose were continually devoting themselves to prayer, waiting together along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers. How do we get filled with the Spirit? It's a gift that He gives. But I really think it comes down to those three things I said earlier. Ask Seek, knock. God, we thank you for your spirit that's alive and well working within us. Thank you for the baptism of the spirit. We thank you that the church was born 2,000 years ago on this day. And we pray, we ask for a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon each one in this room. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great week.